You've fallen down the rock and roll rabbit hole. And we're back, guys. Welcome back to Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. All right, episode three, season, season two. two. We had F- to take my- some. We had to take some some breaks for various reasons. We're sorry about the delay, but we are back, and we're going to try to get back in the saddle again. Trying to get in some kind of groove here. Maybe lay down a, a an episode per week for. If we can. Maybe two weeks in a row, wouldn't that be wild? That'd be crazy for us, yeah. <laughs> we do have, uh, as, a, as a band, we have gigs coming up in May, so we're uh, we're going to be going to be tied up with that at we'll some point. We'll be busy, but, but maybe we'll sneak an episode in every, uh, you know, even during yeah. those. So that'd we be can, fun. We can always take off on a Sunday for an hour and, and do an episode. Yep, yep. So okay. we're going deep down the rabbit hole this time, are we not? It's Something different, yeah. Something different. The topic is... That thing you do, the song within the movie, the the quote unquote fake song within the movie. Yeah, fake song. I think that brings up a good, you know, that's a good way to approach this. Is it fake or is a song a song? Exactly. You know, so. Is it is it really a hit or was it just a, you know, just a fake thing? So exactly. we're going to talk a little bit about the movie, but we're going to talk mostly about the song, how it came to be. Uh, there's some interesting facts behind it that a lot of people don't know. The songwriter, a lovely man. A yeah. lovely. We're going to pay tribute yep. to to uh, him, and uh, and we are also going to have our beer of the week opening. Oh, right about now. Right on. So this year, this week's beer of the week, Rheingeist Truth IPA on just up the river, Cincinnati. They do not endorse us in any way. No. We also have a sidecar, as we have been doing more often lately. Side we have car. about a. Half an ounce of Green River bourbon, Kentucky bourbon. It's the first ever released by Green River Distillery, which originally was uh, OZ Tyler, I believe. And they make uh, Terry Bradshaw's signature bourbon. I met a man named OZ once. Did you? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure if he was a ghost or not. I'm pretty sure he was a ghost. Did he have a pet sheep? <laughs> Not that I, I can okay, uh, see. Good. <laughs> but, you meet a lot uh, yeah. of people with pet sheep. So we call this the opening ceremonies. It's kind of a double again this week. So yeah, so all we right. Got, you know, we got our Fred Minnick bourbon glasses here. The Fred Minnick Show, which yes. is a, a supporter of the show, not a sponsor. It's an embarrassment of riches. I didn't do a very good pour there, but that's all right. To the rock and roll rabbit hole, and to rock fans everywhere, and to all of you, and thanks again to our fans in Italy, nice. who continue yeah. to make up about. 15 to 20% of our audience, which is... Interesting. Yeah. I don't understand, but... All right. We're going in for a little little Green River Yeah, let's try some Green River. Yeah. This is a very nice straight bourbon. That should enliven the discussions, would you say? (laughs) Only available in Kentucky. So if you're outside Kentucky, I apologize for putting this in your face, but... (laughs) This is a 93 proof, I believe. Is it? I, forgot, right, I, I, I left the bottle in the other room. It's a nice spot to be in. But it's a, yeah, it's a nice... A lot of brown sugar in here, vanilla... A little caramel, just a tiny bit of spice on the end. That's what I'm getting. Right on. Okay. Well, that'll be good company during the thing. All right, the first feature of the show, as always, the tale of the tape. That Thing You Do is the title song of the 1996 film of the same name. It's written by Adam Schlesinger for the fictional 1960s band, The Oneeders. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. That's the, the, one, uh, the, that's yeah. the Wonders. <laughs> uh, who are, uh, the As focus- in, I wonder whatever happened to The Oneeders. <laughs> right. <laughs> who are the Channel focus of the film. Uh, the song peaked at number 41 on the U.S. Billboard actual 
Hot 100 charts. And the song was even a bigger hit outside of the U.S., reaching number 31 in Canada, our neighbors to the north, number 22 on the U.K. singles chart. The song was nominated for Best Original Song at both the, the 69th Academy Awards and the 54th Golden Globe Awards. Man, do we need to know which Golden Globes and which? <laughs> no. I'm going to say it was nominated for Best Original Song for the Academy Awards and the Golden Globe Awards of the same year. In both cases, it lost out to Madonna's You Must Love Me, written by Tim Rice and the great Andrew Lloyd Webber from the musical Evita. So it's kind yeah. of like... You're losing to some luminaries there. Right. I mean, it's like, what a weird one-two punch there in, in those wars. I mean, that's that's a just pop culture at its best. Isn't it, though? And uh, the song has been covered by NSYNC, Green Day, The Knack, and others. And it's retained a devoted following some 25 years later. Yeah. The movie and the song have uh, endeared themselves to many millions of people. So, well, And it's it's one of my probably Deserted Island movies. That's what I was going to say. I, I love it that much. I mean, I've, I've seen it so many times over the years and saw it in the, in the theater and, and just, you know, have just always clung to it. So um, I recently was doing some research on it just in the last couple of months just because I, you know, sort of missed it. Um so, of course, I did more today, this week, since we knew we were going to record this. But um, So you're a Beatles fan going way back, like a Beatles obsessed, I would say. Yeah. Yep. And I think, you know, probably Tom Hanks is in a similar club. Yes. And so I think that the the inspirations that that motivated Tom Hanks to make this movie and find this song... Are very yeah. similar to what makes you love it. It's, yes. it's your love of the '60s rock. Well, and Adam and Schlesinger also Beatles devotee since he was a kid. There you so go. So that's what sort of fueled his inspiration. Um, you know, this is a guy who he was known more for this than his co-written hit "Stacy's Mom" with Fountains of Wayne. So he's a he's a member of Fountains of Wayne. He was a founding member, also a member of the band Ivy. Has written right. a lot of stuff, a lot of songs, and and this that thing you do is by far his kind of his most well known thing. Isn't that wild? I saw him described several times as the bass player of Fountains of Wayne, and yeah. I don't think that quite covers what he means. He, yeah, to Fountains he was of Wayne. <laughs> a, kind of the the pop genius behind it. You know, Chris Collingwood, who we talked about when we did the Stacey's Bond episode, um, was sort of a more of a lyrical genius, uh, and and and. Adam was more the the musical pop genius, but behind it, you know, he's the one that brought those great melodies. So ironically, sort of a uh, sort of a, a Lennon McCartney type deal. Very, uh, Schlesinger yeah. being the McCartney of yeah. Fountains of Wayne, and Collingwood being more of a Lennon, more not the, the bad boy. Yeah, he is sort of like yep. a little more uh, on the uh, biting side, isn't he, yep. or the the depressed side of that band? So interestingly, but, yeah. the the title came before the song. So Tom Hanks wrote this while he was promoting Forrest Gump. He was he was tired of talking about Forrest Gump and he would go to his hotel room at night and just and write on this script. He nice. wrote it just in a few weeks or months. Um but he had this idea for the title and he wanted a song with the title in it. Oh, so, so Tom Hanks is re- responsible for the title of the song. That was Cart Before the Horse. Weird. And he co-wrote a song with the producer called That Thing You Do, but he put out feelers with publishing companies, and they got 300 submissions. 
they send out these yeah these notes to music writers and and they and they try to farm up some kind of so it's sort of like an audition. There's, would you say, like you audition your song for the well, movie? Well, and, and basically you just stand in a demo. Yeah. And so that's, you know, they got roughly 300 demos. So sweepstakes. Um, so in, uh, Schlesinger said in an interview, quote, the description was that it was supposed to be an American band in 64 that was blown away by the Beatles and was trying to imitate them. They mentioned the Knickerbockers as one example. And if you think about the song, Schlesinger nailed it. Right down to like you get the the vocal harmonies, yep. the very Paul and John S harmonies, the kind of that please please me tempo and right. vibe, <laughs> and like the, there's the middle eight in there, which just just man when it that middle eight hits in that song, it reminds me of the Beatles so much, you know, and so the interestingly the he his friend was a guy by the name of Mike Viola who he, he was asked as a favor. To record the lead vocal because he just loved viola, just for the demo or viola, right. I guess yeah. it was viola, and he was the the lead singer of a band called the Candy Butchers, like an indie indie rock band. The Candy Butchers, the Candy is, Butchers, it's kind of a fun fun band name. Odd, you know. Yeah, and they never really made it, but they they had a couple albums. I think um, I feel like I had one at one point. But anyway, so out of all these three hundred submissions, including Tom Hanks's own song. They heard this and said, "That's it. That's that's the one." It glues itself now to you, your to your eardrum, right. doesn't it? Yeah, you you, you yeah, catchy as can be, <laughs> right? And so, <laughs> so well, they loved Viola's uh, vocals so much that they paid him to come out to California to record him. And I think Viola was sort of what I've read. He was sort of a sort of a curmudgeonly dude, really. And he did it for the paycheck. But he didn't want to be like known for that. He wanted to make his own way. Goodness gracious! So he was only like in the in the movie credits. He was he was credited for additional vocals and on the album additional additional vocals. vocals. Get real! And then when the song and the movie took off, then he got kind of mad oh, <laughs> about well, sure. it because he wasn't getting this just you know. So yeah. But uh, Schlesinger in a twenty twenty interview, right, not long before he died, obviously said that. You know he's he's softened over the years, and I'm sure come he to has. appreciate he was part of something that cool. I've seen him perform it several times on YouTube videos. I think you know it's kind of interest interesting to me that that uh, Viola's coming in thinking he's just doing this demo with his buddy, right? Just and, as a favor, and he ends up in you know recording a song that's kind of like got some traction over the years. Yeah, and you know there's some kind of deal where you're you're. Movies are more famous even than rock stars somehow. Yep. And I think, you know, rock stars can can walk down the street and then sometimes appear in a movie. Then they can no longer. Then they're recognized by everyone. So yeah. it must yeah. be a certain kind of fame that results from this. So so the song was was named by a billboard. They called it the one of the best fake songs in film history. <laughs> so is you know, it's it's a but it was so in the movie in the movie, it gets to, up to number seven. Mm. On the liner notes of the uh, of the album version, yeah, they they carried through the whole fictional thing, and it says that it got to number two and never made number one. But this is in like sort of like just fantasy land, fantasy land in the movie, but never announced in the movie. Exactly, right? They only got so number to seven. seven was the highest they got in the movie. But I think it was it was obviously going up the charts. 
right. with a bullet, right? So. It was the fastest rising tr- song in the Playtone label history, <laughs> right? For Tom Hanks's character, Mister White. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I want to. Can we? Can we? Can we pause right here at this topic for just one moment? And I want to ask you a philosophical question. Okay. Is there a such thing as a fake song? It's a song. It's a song. Right. It's a song. It was written by an award-winning songwriter. Right. It was nominated for, you know, awards. And Adam won awards. It was commissioned, much like the Sistine Chapel ceiling was commissioned to Michelangelo. Uh, how, How, in what way... Then, like, you know, to me, I came into this when you proposed this song for the rabbit hole. My thought was, well, that's kind of a pretend song. Right. And you hadn't even seen the movie, so you were really had, not well, motivated. I was familiar with the tune somehow over over time, <laughs> yeah. maybe seeing movie trailers or something. And it was certainly something that would appeal to me that I just didn't catch over the time. But, like, as I prepared for this, you know, episode... My thoughts were, you know, is it a fake song or is it just a song? It's just a song. Right. It's a song from a fake world. But it actually charted. So here's here's <laughs> okay. my extended metaphor All right, that good. I prepared All right. for this. <laughs> I like it. And this is, yeah, this is something that I didn't tell you about on An purpose. An extended metaphor so, for the people. So right. none of the actors in the film played on the recordings in any way. Right. They were novices. They were novices. So... Ethan Embry played the bass player, who is not named in the movie. He is TB player. So is he ever ever mentioned? Never mentioned by never. name. He was just like TB player was his name. Okay, he's credited on the album as and in the and in the credits as TB player. But they don't say it on screen no. ever, right? Okay, yeah, he's just yeah. the bass player. And that was just a running joke, which I think is funny because Adam Schlesinger was called the bass player of Fountains of Wayne. You know. <laughs> That's that's a funny. Then that's not even the metaphor. It's just sort of like bass players are the least uh, kind of appreciated. And mus- I, and I have I yeah. live this. Yes, you do. I live yeah. this. Yeah. Um, so Steve Zahn, who played the lead guitar player Lenny, had played some guitar, so he he was familiar with the guitar. The adorable um, Lenny, yes, <laughs> Lenny, who got all the good lines, and we'll talk about so that so likable. Yeah, uh, Tom Everett Scott. Had never touched the drums in his life. He played, I think, saxophone or something in middle school. Right. And Jonathan Shock, who played Jimmy, the the lead vocalist, had to learn guitar from scratch. Wow. That's pretty major. That's a major task. So they would, because Tom Hanks said, you will learn this when when you're playing a B minor 7 or whatever, and we film it, you will be playing that. I love. We're not I love going it. to fool anyone. We're going to make this look as realistic as possible. And uh, and Jonathan Shuck said that when they were filming, and he and he's like he'd be like singing and bopping his head and stuff, and he would see the camera operator start to sink. Then he would he would look down at his hands and make sure he was playing the right stuff. Well, we know that feeling. It's, yes, indeed. <laughs> Having played on TV before, but. <laughs> But yeah, but so it's like they were that adamant about about making this real so much so that they they were literally practicing on weekends outside of their and they practiced like five hours a day, five hours a day with music instruction and everything. And then they would get together on weekends outside of that and just and just rehearse these songs. And so there were a total of four songs they had to learn, and there were five different versions of that thing you do that they had to learn. 
What? Why? Five different because the remember the very first scene where they play it, they're not playing it very well. It's a little slower. Well, yeah, the lead singer's trying to pull it back. Yep. He's trying to slow He's the tempo down. But they but and the they drummer said ignores there were five him, different versions they had to learn at wow. different levels of competency. So it was <laughs> more truthfully show their gaining confidence in themselves in, in the their, song as oh. in, in themselves as a band, which I find fascinating. I never knew that till today. I've got a note here. They 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 played five hours a day for six weeks, the same four songs. Yeah. And I guess the few versions of the title song, but uh, I I I can only imagine they had a good time playing in a band. They seem to be one of life's simple well, pleasures. Like, yeah. St- uh, Steve Vaughn was uh, Tom Everett Scott's best man at his wedding. They're still buddies They're still to this best day. Buddies, yeah. How cool um, is that? So, but Tom Hanks said that they had to go to. You know, there was a there's a behind the scenes video you can watch on YouTube, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna put that link in in the show notes. Uh, it, Tom Hanks said they had to go to rock and roll boot camp. <laughs> I like it. I love the attention to detail. So he he was really he thought it was very important that if you were playing a a B seventh that it appear that way on screen because he says people hear it when they see it. Yes, exactly. But do you hate? Yeah, knows what that looks like. But You've seen bad commercials where they're just they've got their hands just sitting there, and it's there's like, nothing so worse. I hate that. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, but, we've so, seen too many movies where they show a guy playing piano and they only show his face, and then they'll show his fingers like dancing yeah. around, and you can just tell they're not connected. And that's what Tom Everett yeah. Scott assumed would happen, but he was he started he started getting into it. He was like, "Oh crap, I got to really do this." You know? Well, uh, Tom Hanks' a quote was, "You can't fake the drums." Yeah. You cannot yeah. fake the drums. And I believe that. But the on-screen drumming is beautiful and brilliant. It's and natural. It looks so relaxed and good. So these guys got tight enough that when they did the first table read, they went out to thrift stores and found matching suits and showed up wearing matching suits like, like a band, like the Beatles would do. <laughs> and so when the time in the script, when they were reading through, came to a song, they had set up in the corner, a back line and drums, and, and they got up and played the song. During the table During reads? the table read. Yeah, baby. And they were like, it was like the most memorable table read that they've ever been part of. <laughs> I would say. Because they did that, you know, and no one else wow. knew, no one knew what was going to happen. Oh, I so love they, it. They said, we walked in with these matching suits and skinny ties. People <laughs> were like, what is going on here? So it was almost like a dress rehearsal. I love so, it. So they learned their instrument. They learned to play the songs. They learned to become a... A cohesive band. So, 50 years earlier, there was another fake band with fake songs who had a TV show. They were called The Monkees. Correct. Who I, I actually thought of The Monkees yep, this week. Who yeah. ended up learning to play their instruments, going on tour, becoming real musicians, just like The Wonders, The Oneaters. <laughs> All right. Two of them were actual musicians. Two were just actors. Crazy. Same thing. And... Here's here's the the Kevin Bacon moment. Okay. <laughs> so Adam Schlesinger wrote this song for the Wonders. He came to the set, helped make sure it was doing the right thing. One of the last projects Adam Schlesinger ever did before he died was produce a Monkees album and write a song for them. For real. So oh. he was involved in probably the two most famous fake bands. He's ever. the king of fake bands. He's the king not? of fake bands. <laughs> and this is like something I had to piece together. I was like, wow. wait a minute. This is, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So that's crazy. 
50 years apart. I did not run across that. You had <laughs> mentioned to me that Adam worked with the monkeys in the past, yeah. but I've slept since then. Right, and, <laughs> exactly. You know. But I, I think we should uh, clear up this O'Neaters thing. Can you explain that oh, okay. to people so, maybe that haven't seen the movie? Yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't seen the movie, then the, originally the band was spelled O-N-E-D-E-R-S, and the play on one ders One. And yes. <laughs> everyone pronounced it O'Neaters. And. And that was, you know, uh, and Steve Zahn got all the great lines because when they, they the single comes out locally and they're drawing all these audiences in this, this Italian restaurant where they play often, it's getting all these, you know, and the, the owner goes, you O'Neaters are all right. And Steve Zahn goes, that's O'Netters, sir. <laughs> he kind of stole the show, didn't he? In a oh, way. he did. Well, he, then the, so good. Then when when Tom Hanks becomes their manager in the movie, he goes and this 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 wonders thing with the O and E. He said it doesn't work. It's confusing. So from now on, you're just the wonders. And Steve Zahn says like, as in I wonder whatever happened to the O'Neaters. <laughs> yeah, another another great line, <laughs> and and another another great line that that was they were playing the the Pennsylvania State Fair or whatever, uh, and yeah. uh, and the singles just come out. It's just hit radio. And Tom Hanks, before they go on stage, says, it's really important that you don't stink tonight. And Steve Zahn says, I make no promises. <laughs> yep, it was good. Classic. It's kind of like something you would say before we go on stage, for so, sure. Before we move on, we're going to move on right. and talk about the movie a little bit. But yeah, So there were 300 demos submitted to be the title track of the song, including the one that Tom Hanks co-wrote. So it's sort of buying a lottery ticket and just taking a chance you know, yep. on luck, right? Well, yeah. I read today that there was actually a musician who was first commissioned to do the song, and they were, they were going to pay him to just do it. Dwight Twilley. That name sounds extremely... Pop songwriter Dwight Twilley. Familiar. And then the, yeah. the, what he turned in, they didn't like. So they opened oh, it up. Oh, that's right. I, I, yeah, I caught the end of that sentence on something. Yeah. So huh. there were... Reportedly... This is People Magazine reported this, so okay, this is not me saying this. Okay. But two of the bands that submitted demos for that song were the Gin Blossoms. Nice. And they might be giants. For real. I would love to hear their whatever their take was on that that thing you do. Holy moly, wouldn't that be cool? The Gin yeah. Blossoms would be a perfect. So these are lost gems. Lost that are, gems that are, that are out there probably somewhere. sitting in in their archives and on some little MP3 file on a computer somewhere. Oh, we want to hear them. That we'll never hear, yeah. You should make a goal of uh, unearthing the, <laughs> I will, the other 299. <laughs> I will stalk the gin blossoms <laughs> if I have to. They just played here in town. Oh, I know. I we, should, we should have seen them. But anyway, I want to uh, go back to like Adam Schlesinger's mindset when he wrote his version to yeah. submit. He felt like... There was no chance of really getting it done, like he, you know, getting it in the movie. He just it thought, was well, practice for him. He thought it was, it was an, an exercise, exercise. Yeah. right? He just thought, I'll do this as a practice. I mean, I love the Beatle era. That his you know, friends knew that, and so you should do this. You should do this. He was yeah. like, all right, fine, you know, I'll just do it. But he did it more or less as a lark. Yeah, and then recorded, you know, a pretty good demo, which I listened to today. Yeah, and, I, and I will off. definitely yeah. I will link to that in the show notes as well. If you haven't heard the demo, it's fantastic. It was fantastic. It's a little, it's a little lighter on the drums, a little more guitar heavy, but still, it's the same song. Yeah, so good. It was a verbatim. So but boy, it just it, it gave him. I think it bankrolled a lot of things for Adam. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think it helped his projects, like 
Fountains of, of Wayne, Wayne yeah. function. Of course. Yeah. It gave him some street cred, too, you know. There's no doubt there. But he ended up working on a lot of things like this, right? He wrote yeah. songs for movies, and he was kind movies of a go-to and, guy. Yeah. Colbert, Stephen Colbert, he wrote yep. songs for. So. Yep. All right, so... So another something that I remember when I was when when the movie first came out and I was telling friends how much I loved it, people were like they would go see it and they would say I, after a while I got tired of hearing the song. Now that is a reoccurring theme with this movie. Go ahead, yeah. So what did you know about so, that? <laughs> the song is heard eleven different times in the film. Eleven, okay. Eleven situations. It's only heard in its entirety twice. The the others are just shortcuts. Right. Um, so, so those two times being what the talent, the talent show? show and the television showcase when oh. it all falls apart when they yeah. post it that you know oh be careful girls he's engaged and that's right and the they played thing. probably most of it when it was first played on the radio when they had most that of it but you weren't scene. really hearing that you were hearing dialogue over it oh right 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 so that was I think that probably dialogue went that scene went on longer than the song even really did but. Sure. They're just, you know. But there's there are people that are sort of bitter from how many times they had to hear the yep. song, right? Well, guess what? One of those people was Adam Schlesinger. What? When he watched the movie? When he went to the premiere oh. in Hollywood, he said, he admitted, he said he get kind of tired of it. But by the time the end, he was like, I didn't realize they were going to play it this much. I thought it'd be like once or twice. But, of course, he'd already heard it. So it wasn't like it was new to him. They especially harped on the opening of the song, like the first, like the 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 drum intro and the first bit of the yeah. You know. But well, when I, those guitars come in, you know that, that jangly, I I love that. That's you know I just love that. It's addictive. But so, to me, like I I felt a little fatigue with it. But it reminded me of what it's like, like say when like we have a band, we record songs. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't really we're not on any level, you know, like this or whatever. But but we, we have to hear our songs more than other people have to hear right. them, correct? And there are songs that I don't want to play on stage that you still want to play because I heard it so much more than you well, do. Well, and Kurt Cobain didn't want to play Smells Like Teen Spirit, right. and uh, Doug Figer probably didn't want to play My Sharona as much right. as he had to. I See, know, this time you took it to the knack. I didn't. Well, I'm going to take it to the Eagles, which is my <laughs> move, yeah. okay? So uh, Glenn Fry, uh, tired of Take It Easy. Yeah. But... That's what rem- the movie reminded me of, kind of how it is to promote your own single in a way. Well, you yeah. play it to the point where you get a, a little bit fatigued, right. correct? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So um, I've got a, some personal stuff to say about the song before before we before we close out. But Good. I love it when we link it to personal, personal and, and things. Because, yeah. yeah, I love it so much. I love the film and the song. The song but, is fantastic. So yes. the fact that it's influenced by the Beatles, the the, the – Stories influenced by the Beatles, the songs influenced by the Beatles. Right. Um, there were a lot of little Easter eggs that I missed in this in this movie. Oh, really? That were so. I mean, I'm gonna. That go, you just came. That, that just came to light this week. Yes. So, oh, good. Good. That, okay. That when I when I read that, I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> so this is gonna get. So. Are we going way down the rabbit hole right now? <laughs> well, like so, the the Beatles is the name is is based on like a nomenclature and so just like the wonders it's like the oneaters the one you know the b-e-a-t-l-e-s is is so not, a different spelling of a familiar word exactly and a, okay good good <laughs> okay please please me originally was a slow ballad a roy orbison inspired ballad that lennon wrote 
Right. That thing you do was originally a slow ballad that Correct. the drummer accidentally sped up live and it turned into Please Please Me. <laughs> it sounds like Please Please Me. It does. <laughs> so, in the appearance of uh, the Beatles in the, the Ed Sullivan show in 64, the same year that the movie's set, right. they showed John Lennon it says, Sorry Girls, He's Married, which inspired the Sorry oh. Girls, He's Engaged, or Careful Girls, He's Engaged. Oh, I... That seems so familiar to me. That sorry, girl. That's Beatles. Okay, that came back. Okay, good. So, <laughs> uh, both acts first reached fame after replacing their original drummer. The original <laughs> drummer in the movie broke his arm, and they got right. Skitch, who took him there. <laughs> yeah, Skitch. I mean, that's you know, that's his nickname. <laughs> I like Skitch. Each group loses its original bass player. Oh, and it has to be joined mid. Um, Stuart Sutcliffe died. Yeah, the Beatles lost in a more and dramatic so they, way their bass player. Yes. The Wonders had to get Wolfman. Because their... Uh, their guy joined the Marines. He, he he ran off with the Marines to Disneyland. Yep. <laughs> so, All right, good. the drummer, again, back with the drummer, sure. had to be replaced. Well, when Wolfman joins the band, Jimmy Nickel has to send for Ringo Starr. Wolfman had to sit in for the bass player. Another parallel. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Here's the one. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. Okay. <laughs> so I went and looked at a couple of uh, deleted scenes. So the like the director's cut is like almost apparently three hours long. Oh, really? It's less than two hours than the, the theatrical cut. Wow. Wow. There's a scene where we find out that Mr. White, Tom Hanks' character, is gay. He has a boyfriend. Oh, that's on there. I heard that there were, like, you know, kind of, it was bantied about that that may be the case. Okay. And, okay. Huh. You know, Brian Epstein was gay. You know, that would have made the movie richer somehow. Well, guess who played his boyfriend in the movie? Um, Tom Selleck. <laughs> Tom and Tom. You're no, never no, going to no. get it. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Cato Kalin. No. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm grasping at straws. Howie Long. Whoa. Tom Hanks is a huge Raiders fan. <laughs> Howie Long was his boyfriend. I'm speechless right now. And he delivers a funny line, too. There's there's video evidence of this? Oh, yeah. Man. I, I will link that in the, oh, in the I like. Notes. I'm a big Howie fan. Yep. I, you know, he's obviously an attractive man, you know. So what, so, what, so what do you got? What's his line? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just... Uh, so Tom Everett Scott, his character is drunk. Yeah. Tom Hanks's wife plays the bartender who brings him back to the hotel, and Tom Everett Scott wants to go to this party that that uh, Tom Hanks and Howie Long are going to this gay party, and uh, he's like, "Come on, let me go, let me go," and and Tom's like, "You don't want to go to this party, trust me," and Howie leans over and goes, "Come on, bring him," <laughs> <laughs> and smiles, yeah. I can't imagine. That's crazy. Yeah. Did Howie act very much? It I wasn't mean, terrible. It was all right. You know. But I mean, was he in any other movies, or is, was this just not sort that of? A, I don't remember. This that was kind was of a cameo a before cameo. cameo. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So here's my take on uh, Tom Hanks' motivations for making this movie. I feel like Tom Hanks, when he saw the Beatles, uh, not unlike maybe. You know, 90% of the population, especially males, wanted to start a band, right? So that was the moment when, when Ed Sullivan happened. 
so many people wanted to be in bands, start bands, yep. you know, that. Buy just, cheap guitars at Sears. Buy cheap guitars at <laughs> Sears, the Silvertones, right? Yep. So, But anyway, I feel like the, that he was able to, by making Forrest Gump, which I understood he wrote part of this script while making Forrest Gump, he was able to live out a fantasy that he may have had to, like, say, have been a Beatle or a Beatle-type yeah. band. Totally agree with you there. And that the age he was, by the time this movie was made, he be, then your fantasy becomes like, maybe I could I could have managed the Beatles, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Which is an interesting thing. So, uh, it's like, me, I could be the Beatles' papaw. <laughs> there, there the old man gives him some sage advice along and, the way. And a grilled cheese sandwich. But I just feel like, you know, he used this big Hollywood... But, what's his what? <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I just feel like he used this big Hollywood budget to kind of live this fantasy yep. of kind of managing a, a Beatle type band or the Beatles, you know, let's say, and uh, kind of just lived in this world. Uh, and he, he, like, he worked them hard, man. He made them learn yeah. their instruments yeah. and he made them to be, become a band a, as much a, of a band as he could. Yep. So I don't know. It's, it's to me, it's like, if you're a lover of music, if you love this whole culture, then it's hard to not love that film. And that's where it comes from for me. Right. Not just the Beatles, but this idea that when I saw the film, I wanted to be in a band. Right. And I wasn't in a band until many years later. Oh, you know? right. You know, and I was, that was, I, I didn't even own a bass guitar at that point in time. But that probably helped me feel like oh, I should probably do this, you know, because I'm getting older. Um, there was another another movie back in the 80s called Satisfaction starring Justine Bateman, of all people. And it was a, yeah. about a band that got a gig down in Florida and they were, you know, there were talent scouts looking at them. Julia Roberts, it was one of her first film roles ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. But like. And I love that movie as bad as it was. It was terrible. It was terrible. But this one had the heart that one lacked. Oh, yeah. You know? And so when I started researching this, when I first brought this up to you, you know, two months ago, mm-hmm. I started looking, at, started watching these videos. And so in 2020, uh, the four actors did a watch party on Zoom um, to help raise money for for a charity that was dear to uh, Adam Schlesinger's heart. He had just passed away. So they said, let's do this to, to raise money for this charity. Yeah. And so they told these great stories. And there's like a, I haven't watched the entire watch party, but I watched like a 20-minute preamble to it that they did with a, with a reporter. Mm-hmm. And they told some great stories about the making of that film and what they learned, what they experienced. And it made me love the film even in a different way. So I'm going to link this one as well in the show notes. But at seven, at the seven ten point, uh, they tell a story about they were filming. There was a scene when they hear the song on the radio for the first time. Which it's a the, wonderful scene. The yes. highlight of the film, I think, to me. Correct. And they're running around screaming, and I think Liv Tyler did a fantastic job in her role in starting that. Running she, down the street, and the way it was filmed was gorgeous. Yeah, she seemed truly, truly excited, didn't she? <laughs> yes. So, well, Good. apparently, when they were inside that that store, they a, a bunch of people found out what was going on, and they were outside chanting Tom Hanks's name. 
Oh, really? And so oh. they couldn't film. They couldn't, you know, it was too loud. <laughs> right. So Tom, like, walked out. He was like, all right, he's just like, oh, all right, hold on. We got this, got to get this done. So he walked out. And this was, like, during the height of Forrest Gump fame. Forrest mania. Yes. Forrest mania. <laughs> and he walked out, and Steve Zahn said he put his hands on his hips and looked around and did that Forrest Gump wave, and he was Forrest Gump. Yeah. Did the wave. And he said, people, they just fell silent. And he said, we, you know, we filmed the scene, and that was that. They stayed outside, but they didn't make another noise. That's all they wanted, huh? That's all they wanted. <laughs> and that's, Tom always said, give them what they want. <laughs> it might be annoying to you, but give them what they want. I love it. Another thing. I'm sorry, that, that, was, uh, I'm sorry that was the eight. That was at the 820 point. But the oh. 710 point, these four actors, they were just hung over or whatever, got, got to, the, to the filming late. Oh, And yeah. Tom Hanks was very disappointed. And they were sitting in, in one of their trailers, and he walked in, and he, and he said, that's the last time this will ever happen. And they were like, oh, he's mad at us. But then he said, for the rest of your career, it's the last time this will happen. You will do what you're supposed to do. You'll be professional. Don't be late. You do not be late. Know your sh- <laughs> You have to beep that out, but, you know. But that's, I mean, and then they were, like, they were all like, we were never late again. Isn't that cool? But he was kind about it, but he was stern. He was a great mentor to these four young yes, actors. Yes, and they were all yeah. at the beginning of their careers, you know. So my personal thing that I wanted to sort of just finish with on my part at least. Sure. Is first of all, Butch, you are my biggest fan. That is correct. One of the, one of the great lines from the movie. <laughs> yeah. Scott gets to you throw are out there. But no, yeah. but like I still, when I watched uh, scenes from the movie today, I still got chills. Oh. I when I watched the 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 radio first time on the radio I teared up again, and I always do when I watch the movie. It's so emotional for me. And then like when I see it, when the song starts, that drum beat, and then the the that guitar part comes in, which to me sounds a little bit like George's uh, diminishing part. You know, and and please please me when you know that can't be bad. He goes dun dun dun. Oh. It's the intro to that is like, dun, 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 dun. I mean, it, to me, it's similar. So well, I, sure. I get that Beatles thing, and these guys are looking like a real 60s rock band, and they're matching suits, you know, which you know I love. Yep. And like all of the all love for rock and roll and 60s music washes over me in that moment. And to me, you know, like if you, if you go to a concert, and you, you, you've experienced this, no doubt. And you're seeing one of your favorite bands, and you have one of those moments where you're just like, I can't believe this is happening. I've had that moment several times. It it is less often We have it on stage playing sometimes. Absolutely. But, like, I've had it so many times. I feel that when I'm watching this movie. You don't think about any of your troubles. No, exactly. Any any of your concerns, your bills, whatever might be. You know, be, you gotta bring up bills. Well, well <laughs> no, I'm gonna delete that. But anyway, anything that you know, you have no worries. All you're just in a moment. You're in a moment. Yes, and for, for two hours, the Wonders are my favorite band on earth. Well, good. Forget the Beatles. Forget the Knack. Forget the Romantics. Forget them all. <laughs> forget Fountains of Wayne, who's one of my favorite bands on earth. Uh, the right. Wonders are my favorite band for two hours when I watch that. You know, I, I love it for them. I mean, that's. That's how much I love this movie. That's why I've been badgering you for months to to do this episode. No, I'm happy to do it, man, because I I totally get it. I mean, I did the Eagles for you, so. Yeah, well, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Tit for tat. (laughs) 
tit for tat. It's, it's fair play. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I I feel like Tom Hanks wanted to bring us into this world reveling in the, the love of 60s rock and yep. roll, when rock and roll was young, when it was kind of taking that turn. I remember when rock was young. Kind yeah. of the Elvis era and the uh, Chuck Berry era. <laughs> yeah. <Into> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> But it's anyway, the bourbon. Into this beautiful, you know, time when when anything seemed possible and the Beatles were growing their hair long and the Wonders weren't quite at that point of, of growing their hair long, but it was a so, it, it's kind of thing that makes you fall in love with rock and roll all, yes. all over. And that's why I think it's a real song, not a fake song. I think it's a real song. It has real effect. It made it up the charts. It just has a two hour music video to support it. The movie has come and gone. The song still exists out there, and yeah. bands are covering it. The Knack and uh, you know Billy Joe Armstrong. The you know uh, what what is his ba- Green Day covers Green Day. it. Well, I like, think Billy Joe covered it on his own though, didn't he? Okay, well maybe, but that's yeah. a sign that this is a real song that should be yeah. carried forward. Um, well, I, and I have one more thing that I'm t- to bring the knack I've into. I've got a it. little theory I want to bring in. You know, you now. know that I always bring the knack into it. <laughs> right, it's a because, drinking game. <laughs> because for me, and this may become a, a regular feature on the show, folks. Sure. Um, but for me, everything goes back to the knack uh, when it comes to power pop music. So, uh, Tom Everett Scott had a excuse me. I'm the, it's the beer had a had a, a drum tutor who taught him how to play the drums. Drum tutor. Yeah. Yes. His name was Billy Ward. Billy Ward. Billy Ward played drummers for the Knack for about oh, two years. For real? Yep. <laughs> I thought he was Robin on the Batman series. Or, no, that was Burt Ward. Oh, Burt. Okay. But he also uh, he also played, Billy Ward also played on two songs on the soundtrack. Not not that thing you oh. do, but two other songs. So yeah. there's, the, there's the real true Knack connection to... Uh, that thing you do. There are more good songs on that soundtrack. Yeah, what, was the, what was the other song that kind of auto plays after that thing you do? Do you know what? what that's the other that's songs? a different version that was. Come submitted. on, baby, or whatever. Yeah. What's that? That's a good. Come song. Come on, yeah. There's a party going on. Yeah. There's a party going on. Yeah. That's a great song. Yeah. All right. So I want to bring this all back to cl- in closing to Adam Schlesinger, a real musical. I want to. I don't want to throw this word around, but a musical genius, like a pop genius like really put together a beautiful chord progression made some great rock and roll which i think will endure even though you know maybe starting out as a a period piece a sort of fake song but um uh, I, I had this one more theory i wanted to bounce off of you right. about about this song and and the approach to it um great art forgers will take like say van gogh's catalog there will be a few missing paintings that maybe Van Gogh alluded to in his notes that aren't that no longer exist or nobody knows where they are. And so so they'll be in between this painting and say the next great painting, you yeah. know, that's known. A great forger will fill in a gap in the catalog yeah. by painting something in the style that th- that artist was working in at the time. And I feel like Schlesinger either either subconsciously or consciously, I think more consciously, filled in a song that could have been on a maybe one of those early Beatles albums yeah. and kind of worked in the style of the Beatles and threw in like the Beatle bow chord at the end, yeah. that sort of unresolved sounding yep. 
uh, I don't know the technical term for that chord, but you know where the Beatles always did their bow is obviously represented in that thing you do. But uh, to me, just totally hit it out of the ballpark. Genius. What's interesting that I've I've always said that – Going to a whole different band, Cotton Mather, a band that I love. And if, if you're listening and have never heard of Cotton Mather, you should go look them up. Kind if of you, obscure, but really if good. If you yeah. like the Beatles. Um, so Robert Harris and I have, have gotten to know each other a little bit. Um, but I've always said that, that their first, or not their first album, their second album, Contiki, was the album, the lost album between uh, Revolver and Sgt. Pepper's. So a very similar, yes, a very similar thing, right? It's like he almost set out to do that. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. But it's almost like that's how it worked out because he took the template you talked about and said, "Let's fill in the gap here. Let's split the difference." You know, man, I want to hear that. I want to hear that. I want to listen to those albums all three in a row and see. You know, yeah, because I love that thought. To me, it's like that really. When I found out art forgers do that, I thought it was kind of like amazing. And I'm not saying that thing you do is a forgery, but it's just obviously. Right. I've he, heard it called a culture vulture. Whoa, maybe so. <laughs> I just think he put on one of those uh, gray suits the Beatles wore early on, and yep. he and he, you know, made a Beatles song. Yep. And he had to be proud of it. Was he proud of it? Do you know? I think that he just again he was proud that it made him money. I don't know that he was, you know, he just wrote it as like a lark, like. If I was writing a Beatles song, here's what it would sound like. I think that's kind of what he did. Maybe his loose approach and thinking he he didn't have a He was a a very humble dude, so he didn't really say a whole lot about it. But Tom Hanks knew a good song when he heard it. To put it above his own song and 299 others, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's pretty big. They they knew. They were like, that's it. Well, I hope this has all been a tribute to the late, great Adam Schlesinger, one of the early losses to coronavirus. Um, A beautiful man. Conan O'Brien uh, eulogizes him greatly on uh, YouTube. If you want to look that up, maybe yeah. we'll link that. I'll find that, yeah. But uh, listen oh, and, to some, what, and, yeah. and, and, uh Early in the, the COVID times when, when he was still healthy, they played a Kinks cover, uh, Better Days. Was it, was it called Better Yes, yeah. Right. It was the first musical appearance on Conan after 9 yeah. 11, right? That's, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better Times. Better, what's Better Times? I think it's better days better days but yeah that's right Dang. 9-11 but so like good yeah but, but conan played it again i think he and did yeah and so it's like it's a gorgeous version you know it's just yeah maybe and i'll try to look up that it up was too. played in sort of a, a, a somewhat somber way but in a hopeful way yeah to kind of bring people back together after 9-11 which yeah. is kind of where we are i feel like with coronavirus we're starting to yeah, Un- unassuredly put things back together. Yeah. We're, you know, slowly, it's, but it's, it's yeah, sure. It's going to be a long comeback, but we're looking forward to a great year, a great year for the rabbit hole coming up for the, another episode soon. And we're going to have a, we're going to have guests soon. We promise. We're we're working on that even as we speak. So we're and have we guests. might be just uh, venturing just uh, across the river for our next episode and talking about one of my uh, favorite musicians from my youth. Uh, John Mellencamp. Oh. Yeah. You know, I may even want to call him John Cougar for the episodes. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. But anyway, it's been great. The Green River was fantastic. So was the uh, Truth IPA. Again, none of these brands endorse us until they want to. Until they want to. But a happy birthday to Kevin this weekend. Yeah. Turn older. (laughs) See you next time on Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. Right on. 
and a grilled cheese sandwich. But I just feel like, you know, he used this big Hollywood, but what's what? <laughs> just keep going. Okay. <laughs> I will stalk the gin blossoms if I have to.